Liveline on RTE Radio 1 with Kia. Going electric? Plug into the Kia e-range of EVs and PHEVs. Kia. Movement that inspires. Liveline on RTE Radio 1 with Kia. Going electric? Plug into the Kia e-range of EVs and PHEVs. Kia. Movement that inspires. 0818 715 815. Hello, good afternoon and you're very welcome to Liveline. One is our text number, joe at rte.ie. Uh, Catherine, good afternoon. Back to this awful story yesterday um, of a motorist. It doesn't matter who it was, but she was spat at by another motorist. And as we read out numerous cases, since the pandemic began, where courts are taking a much, much uh, stronger view of uh, people who spit at other people during a pandemic for obvious reasons. As one George pointed out, it then means that person has to go into isolation because they don't know if the spitter has COVID and also their family has to go into. So it's, it's a pretty serious offence. Now, Catherine, just before the pandemic started, what happened to you, Catherine? Yes, the very same thing. Um, a man with three small children in his car, he parked halfway across the um, disability parking okay, space. Okay. So I went up to him and I said, please, I wonder, could you just straighten up your car a bit that I could get my car into the disability? Okay. Next thing, he stood out of the car right in front of me. He shouted everything under the sun at me and then he spat in my face. My God. Now, all I can remember is the, three, the expression of the three small children in the car. And there were people around because they could hear him shouting and roaring. And nobody came to my help. No. So then when I said, please, will you just straighten it up? And then he threatened me. He said, I'm going to reverse back into your car. I'm going to smash up your car. So I pulled out my phone and said, OK, do that. And I'm going to phone the guards. Mm. So then he got in the car and he cooled off and he took off. And what age were the children? I'd say the eldest was about five, between five and six, maybe a little three-year-old. And we presume, we presume he was the father. This is three young children yes. looking at her father, spitting into someone else's face. Yes, My yes, God. and shouting at the top of his voice. And did you ring the guards, Catherine? I didn't, actually. No, because, I didn't. Because the guards were in contact with us yesterday after the programme saying they are taking any case of spitting in the current circumstances very seriously. Yeah, he's not Very. the first person I've seen spitting, to be honest with you. But spitting think, into someone else's face? Yeah, right into my face. Yes, it landed all over my face. Oh. oh. Mm, I know. But I just think we've lost an awful lot in this country. Manners, everything seems to be just gone. People park in places they shouldn't. They park on their yellow boxes. You know, it's just dreadful. Nobody seems to have any care for anybody else but themselves. Today. Okay, say with us, Catherine. Caroline Cortis has contacted us from the UK. But Caroline, uh, you you were you were driving in Ireland. What happened? So, first of all, thanks very much for having me on. And thanks for coming. Um, I am Irish, and yeah. I'm actually moved back to oh, uh, Ireland. So the number you have, sorry, is my previous English number. Oh, very good. And and yes, I was driving through Drogheda town okay. um, in October. And I was at a particular junction in a filter lane turning left. And I'd indicated and turned into the left filter lane. And as I came up to the traffic lights, there was a truck 
still in the lane for going straight, but mm-hmm. he was indicating to turn left. Okay. Now, the lights were red, and there was also an additional car in front of me. And I didn't think anything of it. And I saw this gentleman appearing from around the side of the truck. Mm-hmm. And I ran down my window. I thought, actually, he was, you know, needing assistance. Yeah, and then yeah. he started screaming, his shouting, his arms were flaring. And I'm looking at him. He walked right by the guy in the car in front of me mm-hmm. and straight for me in the smaller car, being a female, and then told me I had to reverse back, which I couldn't because there was another car turning left behind yeah, me. Yeah. And then I said, I, I'm looking at him going a little bit confused, wound up my window because at that stage I'm kind of making sure my car was locked. And um, he then screamed at me telling me he would weaponize his go. truck and that if I tried to turn left before him that he would drive over me and kill me. Oh, God. But he didn't, so that was he didn't use that phrase, I will weaponize my truck. Uh, basically, he said, my truck is much bigger than yours. Okay. I will drive wow. over you. That's what he said. Because I'm in a small car. I mean, it's a, yeah. a little, small, little kind okay, of Volkswagen so, Polo. So yeah. what happened next? So I phoned the police. I got home and I phoned the police. There's a general number that you can actually call regarding traffic incidences. Okay. And they told me, I told, gave them all the details. And they told me that they would get in contact with me. So a month later... They got in contact with me. I think it might have been um, a local police branch. I don't know. I actually genuinely don't know. But they contacted me and they did everything to dissuade me from taking it further. So they said you'd have to come down to the police station and make Mm -hmm. a statement. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm fine with that. Well done. done. It might go to court. I said, I'm fine with that. I said, this man is a menace. Yeah. Because he walked by a guy. He obviously felt I was an easier target. Um, and he felt it was, you know, his right, even though he was incorrectly in the lane, he felt it was his right to actually, you know, bypass every other driver that was doing the correct thing, being in the correct lane. Um, but yes, he felt it was um, his, his right to actually intimidate a female driver, and I felt this should be taken further. So this happened on the 15th of October last. Uh, we're, ne- we're now uh, coming into the middle of December, to say the least. Uh, what has happened since? Absolutely nothing. They told me they would get back to me and they would arrange for my statement to be read and absolutely nothing now. I was told they'd get back to me by the 24th of November. I'm sure it's the 24th of December in two, two weeks exactly. from today. Exactly, exactly. Stay there, Caroline. Uh, yes. Uh, stay there, uh, that's Caroline Cortes, but Caroline Kavanagh is also a story about Drogheda. It's coincidental, I'm sure. And Caroline is in WhatsApp. Caroline, um, you're in Drogheda. It was last Thursday. It was Thursday evening around 8.15. Around 8. What happened, Caroline? Thank you, Joe. I was coming from a supermarket and stopped at a red light in Drogheda on the northern side of Drogheda on um, the old Dundalk Road. People would know it there near the Lord's Hospital. And I was turning right and the um, traffic lights went red. So I was the only one there and it had just rained, funny enough. And so there were no walkers, joggers or anything because it's a very very nice place for walking and jogging. So on my own and another car lights came up behind me, thought nothing of it. Then the passenger door opened, a guy stuck his head in, grabbed my bag and ran. I said, oh, my God. So mm-hmm. I unbuckled myself, hopped out. He was getting into a car behind. So there was a second man there, the driver, who had come up behind me, had turned the car and was ready to go back down the way they'd come. And so this guy hopped in. So um, 
I happen to be sitting on my phone. I don't tend to leave my phone in my bag and okay. the phone was there. So I immediately took photographs of the car. Oh, well done. Well done. So it was an automatic reaction, you know, protect well your done. property. Then I was afraid there might be a third person there yeah. who was going to steal my car. Now, not that it's worth very much. I'm very like the other Caroline was a little yeah. small car, but it was my daughter's car because mine was doing the NCT the next day and she was cleaning it for me. Mine. So, um, there was no central locking, no or no automatic locking. It was an old Yaris. So I would never think of put, putting down all of the, the safety buttons, you know, the locking yeah, buttons. Yeah, locking, because yeah. my yeah. own car, my own car locks anyway. So my goodness, this is what happened. So I, oh my God, I got an awful fright. I was screaming, uh, you know, and I rang 999 there and they were very, 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 very nice. Great. They talked me down from where I was and they said, wait and we'll get guards. I said, absolutely not. I know I'm only down the road from the station. Got down to the station. Uh, oh, the guardy down there were absolutely amazing. And I was shaking like a leaf when I went in. And they told me when I was leaving that they were watching me on CCTV and didn't know what was wrong with me. But yeah. they took my uh, took my statement and were very good and they gave me a glass of water but I was shaking so much it was going over one so then do you the reckon other, Caroline then, you reckon but these I reckon I was followed oh, okay. I reckon I was followed because um, I have to use the key to get into the car so therefore I didn't have the central locking mechanism and I just threw my you know shopping into the mm -hmm. back seat bag into the front seat and I think they were probably waiting at that supermarket to see what they can see. It was not an opportunistic crime because well, it was most planned because they had their getaway it car. They had yeah. their getaway car parked in the opposite direction so they sped off. Yes. Back back, yes. Uh, uh, back not in front of you but behind you so to speak. But yes, in the, in they the pulled up behind me and turned. In the photograph did you is there a reg number visible do you know? Yes. Wow. Yes, the reg number is visible uh, more or less and the make and colour of the car is visible. Also, when they were getting into the car, the second guy, the guy who robbed me, the light comes on in the car, so I was able to describe them as well. well, and, done. well done. But but there is a good side to this. Now, yeah, the guard was well, the, 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 the bad side is yeah. your handbag is gone. Bloody handbag was gone. With everything with, in it, know, I presume. Cards. cards key, everything yeah, in it. Everything in it except my phone, thank God, because I was able to ring somebody right away. Yeah. So don't keep your phone and cards together or phone and bag. Actually, somebody since then has told me they put the bag in under their legs, under the driver's seat. Now, I mm. would be afraid of things rolling out, even yeah, a pen rolling out might affect you. That, so, you know, yeah. So the, the guards followed up. The victim support group rang me the next day from the Gardaí in Dunleer. Absolutely fabulous. And then I kept in contact with the guards to see what was happening. And, and uh, some man had found, a motorway maintenance worker had found my bag on the motorway going to Dublin. A day or two later, and handed it into the guards in in um, Balbriggan, so oh, they yeah. have to keep that um, bag for evidence, etc. But at least I'll have my driving license and don't have to start oh, reissuing yeah, yeah, those. Absolutely. But I have to say they were fantastic. The guards for me were fantastic, but okay, great, I don't sir. know what they're going to do, how to progress it. But be careful of what you do with your bag and lock your doors driving. Okay, okay, Caroline, say everything. Tony, good afternoon, Tony. Um, what 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 happens? Oh, hi, Joe. It was about um, a year and a bit ago, I suppose, now, just at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, and I was actually listening to your programme. Thanks very much for having me on. Um, this isn't mm. so much road rage per se as park rage. OK. Um, I was in Portlaoise, mm -hmm. and uh, listening to your programme, I was very interested because it was a lady from Italy who was speaking about the COVID, um, the implications of it for them there. My husband and I met and married in Italy. OK. 
And uh, I said to myself, gosh, I'd better look at the time now and see what time it is. I better get out of my car. Meanwhile, this woman had parked beside me, quite close, but not terribly close. And um, she was just putting on a lipstick or just doing up a face before she got out of the car. And it just so happened that she got out of her car before I did. Then I got out of the car, mm-hmm. taking great care, making sure not to touch uh, the, yeah. the, her, her door or her car or whatever. And um, I have arthritis and I'm very, very aware of people, you know, touching a car and how, you know, how small a scrape can cause an awful lot of damage. So I was very aware. But then she came around the back of the car and she said, you touch my car, you touch my car. Look, at it. look, look, you touch my car. Oh, and she was ranting and ranting and ranting, just saying the same thing over and over again. And I thought, look, I didn't touch your car. I can see where my car is. And then she accused me of faking a limp. I said, I have arthritis. Oh, she my said, no, God. faking a limp. And I said, fine, okay, fine, think what you want. So I got out of my car and I went around to the passenger side to take off my handbag and I was going to go and do my business and whatnot. And she still wouldn't leave it alone. You touched my car. You touched. And then at this stage, she had her phone out and she was making a video of the whole thing. And I thought, we just stop. What are you doing with your phone? You know, you can't do that and whatnot. Um, and then out of the blue, this other lady came from my left-hand side. Uh, I thought completely unrelated and mm. took her part and said, I had touched the car. And I said, you weren't even there. How could you see? What do you think? What are you, th- you know, mm. what are you doing? So uh, I, I said, this is crazy. And, you know, I couldn't even be bothered. Where I had to go was actually only literally just down the road from where I had parked. And I said, this is so upsetting now. I can't do this. So I got back into my car and my car is automatic. By the way, was and, there, Tony, yeah, to, was yeah. there any evidence that, that you no, had scuffed not, or scratched? Not at all. Or? No, 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 not. None whatsoever, because I knew I hadn't. I mean, you would feel even the slightest impact if you touched your door off of another vehicle when your hand is on the handle of the door inside. And I would—I didn't touch it. And I knew I hadn't touched it. Uh, my car is uh, its quite an old car, but it's got it's quite sophisticated for its age. But I knew that hers was a much, much newer car than mine and mm-hmm. a darker colour. And I knew that I hadn't touched it. It was pristine. Her car was absolutely pristine. It was, it was um, a Ford uh, 2017. So mm-hmm. that's as much as I'm going to say about it now because I don't know who she was. I don't want to know who she was. But this lady took her part. So I got back into the car and I switched on the engine and I reversed out. The the road where I was parked, it's a one-way street and cars are so used to this particular configuration of parking spaces in Port Leash that they do stop to let you out. They're very, very good and I was very grateful that day. But just down the road from where I was parked, there is a a little um, pedestrian crossing. There's a little cafe and an arcade from Mm -hmm. it. And uh, I had to stop. Unfortunately, I had to stop to let some people cross. And with that, the two of these women arrived, still with both of their phones now making video at this stage. And they were banging on the boot of the car. So thankfully the people passed Mm -hmm. and I went on. This sounds like a ready up. It was... I tell you, when I spoke with a friend of mine who is a detective in headquarters, she said to me, now calm down a bit, she said, I think this sounds like an insurance scam. So I said, oh, and with that, my whole body seemed to just relax because I said, oh, Tony, you're such a fool. You didn't even cop this on, you know. Um, Looking back, I do think that's what it was, but there was no other follow up to it. So I went across and I parked in, in the shopping centre car park, calmed myself down, rang the guards. The lady who answered, I presume she was the in charge, and um, she wasn't terribly helpful. She was all right, but she wasn't terribly mm-hmm. helpful. And the heel of the hunt, her attitude was it wasn't illegal to make a video. 
I said, wow, you know, so much for privacy laws in this country. Mm. I said, so I, the innocent party, have been harangued and harassed and verbally abused on the street and accused of all sorts, totally untrue, and it's okay for them to make a video. And they would have been able to see the registration of my car and, you know, the the Mm. make and model of my car and everything and use that as they felt, as they so felt. Now, I did, um, I'm not on social media other than WhatsApp, and I did say to some friends of mine who are on different social media platforms to please keep an eye out for any video that might be circling the rounds and doing the rounds. Well, that that, that would Um, be a breach if they they published a video. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, I was waiting for them to catch themselves out, you see. Um, Now, she was only in between, say, 35 and 40, maybe. She was between her 30s and 40s. Um, But she was adamant. She was definitely, she, you know, she was fully right. She knew what she was saying. She knew what she was doing. And she wasn't. I mean, she wasn't right. But this and was why, her attitude. But hang on, to add insult mm. to injury um, mm. or injustice to injury to another injustice. Yeah. She then accused you of faking a limp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And believe me, if you saw me with the way I walk, it's, I mean, anybody here in town who knows me knows so, I'm not yeah. faking it. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty... No, absolutely not. Okay, that's... Dreadful. Caroline, (laughs) Catherine, two Carolines, Catherine and Tony, and uh, all talking about road rage, including Catherine talking about being spat in the face, uh, which is uh, horrific. Any assault is horrific. We're in the current situation. Spitting at someone else is not a minor uh, uh, offence by any stretch of the imagination. And I also noticed that the first four callers talking about road rage and being attacked... Caroline there, the the driver was going to told her he was going to weaponize his truck, drive over her if she if she uh didn't uh move out of the way. Um the first four callers were women. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Live line on RTE Radio One with Kia. Discover our two to one offers at your local Kia dealer. For more, log on to Kia.com. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And Joe at rt.ie. Uh, um, oh, by the way, we, we had an email earlier on and we're waiting on a response from Brown Thomas, or indeed Arnett's, and it goes as follows. A friend of mine was in New York and sent me a photograph of the, you know, FAO Schwartz, you know, that toy, uh, massive toy emporium. An FAO adoption centre with all the baby dolls lined up on the chairs, black, white, Asian. I don't under- I didn't understand what I was looking at, so I Googled it and came to an ad for Brown Thomas in Dublin, and indeed throughout the country, telling me I could adopt my own bundle of joy. When you think of the distress over the commission this year, obviously the mother and baby on commission, it seems really lacking in understanding to think this would be a great stock, uh, a great toy uh, to stock. Um, for adoptees, birth parents and adoptive parents, the adoption triangle contains complex emotions of grief, pain, as well as love. It is humiliating to see it marketed as an invitation to adopt your bundle of joy for €85 Euros a pop. Um, now, Adal, we will uh, we put that to Arnest, but it, they are there. The, the, the dolls are there and they're being marketed and sold as toys. Uh, and it says the FAO Adoption Centre. Now, uh, sticking, we'll be back to that in a sec, but sticking to toys and hobbies, uh, John Reed. John, good afternoon. How are you, Joe? Don't know whether it's a bell or Jennifer. to you. The first time to meet Hunter Radio. Well, I'm, I'm looking at a photograph. Are you working on post? 
Well, well, no, no, no. Okay. I did at the time. Because I, I would be bound a Flecking to anyone doing a brilliant <laughs> service. Okay, John, you contacted us because um, you have um, a, an incredible interest during the pandemic of model making. Will you explain what, what it is? Basically, um, it started off with hobbies, starting off with like the uh, fixed models, the uh, airplanes and all of that, and battleships okay. and, and that. And you progress over time. And then you get into a habit of then painting them and decorating them and then mm-hmm. adding de- details to them to make them more realistic. But in the last couple of years, I've been doing the more advanced models now where they come with uh, metal parts, plastic parts and electronics. Yeah. And I've been in the process of trying to make uh, the latest one, which is the R2-D2 model, okay. which I've, I've sent you the photographs of. Yeah. Now, the one in the, the, the life-size model there that you've seen with the photograph, is the one I'm actually making is about one-third of that mm-hmm. in size. Incredible. But these models uh, come in a weekly magazine. Ah, and okay. once you once you subscribe, they'll send it out to you in bulk at the end of the month, every month. Then you can subscribe to either a 12-monthly period or a 24-month period. But anyway... I subscribed to a 2012-month period on the R2-D2, and the problem is, last January, mm-hmm. Brexit kicked in, and I'm now waiting on the last pack of four magazines to complete the model, and I was just wondering, does anybody else out there have the same problem? I can't complete the model. It's missing a few extra plastic parts, and it's mm-hmm. waiting on a power supply. I've been on to the company, and every week, they tell me the same story, Sorry, the parts haven't been produced. The, the parts aren't here. Um, you'll have to get on to Italy to get the parts. But on to Italy, can't get an answer. But, and where, head but, you, but you subscribed for the year. Where are the parts? Are they, in, are they stuck in Brexit, Brexit nobody, land? Nobody, nobody can tell me. But what they can tell me is that they have a factory of spare parts, but they can't release them as spare parts. They can only release them as a pack. So I can't get a straight answer from anybody. So I was just wondering, was anybody in... So what's the, na- the, what's the name of the magazine? We've it. it was a, a company called Model Space in the UK. Model Space. Was, yeah, and the D'Agostini Publishing is the Oh, yeah, well, they're well known, yeah. Now, you're, you're yeah. saying Model Space, you subscribe for years so you could build this incredible model of R2-D2 uh, from Star Wars. And um, when Brexit kicked in last January, the, the packages stopped arriving. They did. One, but the did, this happen, did this happen for everyone in Ireland? That's what I'm trying to figure out. I don't know. But now, where, where question, is, where, have you any idea where your model space is now? Is it stuck in a customs warehouse? No, or? no, no. They said they can't, because of COVID, they can't get the parts made. Italy closed down, Germany, everything closed down because of COVID. This is what I've been told. Um, yet they have a factory or a warehouse full of spare parts if there's a problem with one of the parts they can give you a part to replace it but okay. they can't give you a selection of but spare are they parts saying are they saying we did you were subscribed to the magazine and we sent you the the monthly magazines are they saying they mm. actually sent them or they've no they haven't sent right. them no they haven't sent it well can I have They're my wh- can I have my money back please uh, <laughs> I was laughed at they said good luck with that one why because they they said you've subscribed to it. It's yeah. So where is it? Well, basically, you pay for the parts and then they send ship them out. I'm still waiting to pay for the parts. They're waiting for it to collect it so they can charge me out. Okay. 
and I can't get a straight answer from anybody. Now, it's a fascinating hobby. I mean, it's get, it's getting my head straight while during COVID. Yeah, but you didn't, like most people start with little Airfix models. Mm-hmm. You're making R2-D2, which is half your size. Well, it's one third. <laughs> I've made the Terminator in the meantime. Okay. And uh, what is the, what is the kick? Just the complete relaxation. The, okay. the, it's very therapeutic when you put these things together. But I mean, it's not just a matter of putting one of these models together and then put it on display. Yeah. There's a whole area, world outside that because somebody out there can make something that will make it look better, feel better or operate better than what has been supplied by the magazine companies. They'll give you a standard fixated model and then it's up to you then to decorate it as you see fit. You might want to put it in a diorama where uh, mm-hmm. it would be in a yeah. 3D display and it could be in a fighting scene or doing something. And and John, you're saying, did you have this hobby before the pandemic or it just... Well, before the pandemic, yeah. But it really took off during the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Oh. I mean, there's oh, there's a whole area of model making out there. I mean, there's model railway clubs all over oh, Ireland. Yeah, there's yeah. remote control model clubs all over. Anything to do with model making. And it's for all sorts, age, sizes and ages of people. The fascination, it's pure. It's just pure therapeutic. You see, I was, you know the way Rod Stewart is into model tra- model railways. Yeah. Frank Sinatra was big into model railways and painting. Uh, Neil Young, uh, the mm-hmm. musician, has a whole warehouse on his ranch, which is just one massive model railway um, that he absolutely adores. And I've, I've often wondered, what is the fascination with, for example, model railways? And somebody somebody said to me recently, it's about controlling, in a, in a good way. You're you're yeah. in charge of everything in, in front of you, the whole, the town, the fire station, the the traffic, the trains, the the yeah. intersections, the junctions. You And people do, people do get lost in it, don't they? In a, they do, yeah. It's an absolute other world. And everything that, once you're in that arena, shall we say, Anything, a bomb could be happening outside. There could be murder happening. Once you're yeah. inside, it stops. Your world just becomes your own. Now, can you show them at the minute? Where, where is there is there a model railway? Not, not that's not your area, but can you bring your R two D two or your Dalek or whatever? Can you bring it to a, an exhibition to show other aficionados and vice versa what you're doing? There, yeah, you, I, you can join clubs and all of that. The story behind the photograph um, there, Joe, is I was in delivering a parcel to a company. I think, I think it's called Mechtronic or something like that in Green Oak. And I just happened to step inside the door and something caught my eye. And I said to the guy, I said, by any chance, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. I said, I'm after catching something in my eye. I said, is that what I think it is? He says, what mm. do you think it is? I said, life-size model of R2-D2, he says it is. I said, by any chance could I have a photograph? He says, certainly, come okay. on down. And what, did, what, and what did they do with it? They they do exhibitions, they do all sorts of things, they do Robot Wars, I think it was one of their, uh, their lines. That, and they had life-size Daleks, um, Darth Vader, they had life-size um, R2-D2, which was signed by uh, I can't think of the guy's name. It's gone yeah, out of my head now. Somebody, one of the lads from. No, no, the guy that actually, the, the guy that was actually inside the the R two D two for the films with George Lucas. He but actually the, signed the, a copy was, of that. There was somebody inside. 
it was. R2D2. Yes. That's, that's a tough job. Kenny Baker is the gentleman's name. Okay, fair play to him. Fair play to him. Um, so, so what about trying to get on to the manufacturer of the in Italy I, yourself? As I say, can't get a phone number for anybody in Italy. Um, I've been on to the head office in London, and all the kids. Uh, we'll send an email. Mm. We'll highlight your case, and we'll send an email. But I'm just wondering because those subscriptions, especially coming, that they come out at this time of year for the new year. They start them in the new year. You don't subscribe for twelve yep. months, and you get the makings of 15 forward models from the 1970s or whatever. Um, yeah. But what, what is happening with Brexit and all those offers? That I couldn't tell you, honestly. I, I just remember the, the Pac-24 arrived eventually two months late and then I was waiting on Pac-25. I was told the trailer was turned around at the, at the border, sent back. Mm-hmm. Can you reship it? No, we can't reship it. So I've been waiting ever since. So now every time it rings, um, no, sorry, we only have spare parts and we can't issue out spare parts. Yeah. Okay. It's baffling. Um, what mm. are you, so what are, you, what are you building at the minute? Uh, I'm not. I'm wa- oh, okay. sorry, I am. Sorry, uh, the Routemaster, uh, an old uh, London double-decker. Oh, bus, beautiful. Yeah. The red bus. The red one, yeah. And what, what's, I, what size is that going to be? Uh, I can't remember the actual size. I think it's uh, one eight, one ten. She'll be about two and a half feet long by a foot and a half high. Well done. Good guy. Yeah. And then I saw a video recently um, of a chap, I think he's in the Midlands, but he makes miniature trucks like Scania's and Volvo's, mm-hmm. but children yeah. can actually sit in them and drive them. Now, I think they're expensive. Mm-hmm. So you drive them around your... your your garden playground or your garden yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. but they're beautiful pieces and each one of them is handmade and it looks like a very miniature Scania or a Volvo or a Renault or whatever incredible mm-hmm. incredible okay John we're putting it out there the name of the give us the, the, the tag names the keywords again they are R2D2 D- D'Agostini our, our model space model space okay John Reed in Ace County Kildare um, thanks a million Joe at RT.ie Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815 Liveline on RTE Radio 1 with Kia coming soon the all new Sportage for more log on to Kia.com Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Each, each uh, doll, uh, ch- kids, they say kids, I hate that phrase, children. Ki- children can adopt their very own bundle of joy with FAO Schwartz's Baby Doll Adoption Centre. Each doll comes swaddled in a soft blanket, ready to be taken to its new home. And as I say, one of our listeners has pointed out that the uh, dolls come in black, white, Asian, and uh, they, they went on to, to uh, say, for adoptees, bird parents and adoptive parents, the adoption triangle contains complex emotions of grief, pain, as well as love. It is humiliating to see it marketed as an invitation to adopt your bundle of joy for 85 euros a doll. Mairead Kelly, Mairead, good afternoon. Hi, Joe. You're, <laughs> you're listening to this. What do you think? I don't think it's, it's a good idea at all. I don't think it represents um, the... Which are adults now, the mm. babies that suffered horrific and are traumatized to this day, and to have a baby um, to represent it, it doesn't represent the adopt the adopted children. 
you know, it doesn't come near what they have suffered. Mm. That little baby that's for sale in Arnett is tucked up nice and yeah, cosy, yeah, yeah. you know, um, unharmed in any way. Looks very healthy and exactly content and, and warm and snuggly. Yes, yes. That's not the way it was for those poor people that were reared in institutions and have suffered so much. Even now they're suffering mm. because they're scarred for life what they went through. And it's an it's an insult to to the um, the people who weren't adopted, who were reared in Mag- Magdalen laundries, who suffered, and still to this day have a fear instilled in them. Like my birth mother, is I went in to look for her three times, mm-hmm. and she refused the three times because she's so scared of what mm. comes with it. Yeah. But I I don't blame her. Yeah. I blame, you know. Now I just I just wonder, like this is an American company, as you know, FAO Schwartz. They have two. They have concessions in Ireland, Arnott's and Brown Thomas. And I presume I haven't been in the other Brown Thomas is around Ireland, Cork and and Galway, whatever. Um, But it's an American offering, and it like the Arnott's or BTs not realise that the, as far as I know that the experience of adoption in Ireland can be yeah. very different to the experience of adoption in America. Exactly. Uh, i.e., exactly. we had children who were shipped out of Bespera and other exactly. places, unknown yes. unknown to their families, yes. and, and sold um, to yeah. families in America. Exactly, and to very wealthy families yeah. who paid enormous prices. And what about the little babies that are buried in Tume and buried in Bespera and buried all over the country. That doll doesn't represent them. But even it's an insult. Even it's an absolute... It's an insult to them. This little baby that's for adoption for children and for adults or whatever, it doesn't... It, do, it doesn't fit at all. It doesn't suit... Now we looked it up. doesn't represent... Them at all. Yeah, yeah, it's and, an insult. And as it's you as you insult. said in your original comment to us, Mal, why, why your sister? And I'm sorry to bring this up, but your sister, as you said to us, came out with bruises and malnutrition. No, 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 no. no sorry, Joe, not bruises. She came out with malnutrition. Okay, and you say and why don't they have a malnutrition doll? Exactly. But you know why, Maria? Yes. Yeah. You know why they couldn't get eighty five quid for it? Exactly. Exactly. It's all about the money, Joe. And then That's the, all it is. But they the, the, say uh, kids, I'm quoting them, kids can adopt their very own bundle of joy with FAO she, Schwartz's baby doll adoption centre. Now, we looked up to see where the FAO Schwartz... Can't you go into Smith's and buy a little doll? Yeah, of course you can. For and, 12 and, euro or and, something and like that. And then Santi, give it to Santi. Santi will bring exactly. it to the children. And where but, does this money go to? That was FAO That's Schwartz. 85 euro. But we looked up to see where is this baby doll adoption centre because we we said well maybe they have a whole thing where they they have a, they give money to uh, orphanages in the third world or whatever. Uh, but no, there's no there's, as far as we can find out, there's no such thing as the FHO Schwartz baby doll adoption centre as a centre, exactly. so to speak. It's just a it's just a phrase. By the way, you. Uh, you also mentioned in your contact that you adopt greyhounds. Well, lorchers and greyhounds. Lorchers, yeah. yeah and you... they're, they're, they, uh, ever since I've been a child, 
Um, I've always had a dog in my life. And they complete me and they give me an unconditional love. Yeah. Um, you know, they're just... Anybody that hasn't got a greyhound doesn't know what they're missing because they're just they're just so dignified, so regal, so... Oh, they're just everything to me. And dogs give me comfort. And, you know, mm. as my mother said when she adopted me, because my biological mother kept me for six to eight weeks, she baptised me as well okay. and um, mom said when they adopted me that she's put me to sleep every night hold, and I'd be holding her finger mm. and she'd think I was asleep and she'd slowly let go, let, yeah. try to let go and I'd jump and mom reckons that's where the bond was broken and I grew up with um, an inferiority complex you know that you're not good enough or you know sometimes you do mm. but when I'm cuddling my dogs and with my dogs, they just um, give me everything that I need. They, and it's true. It's true. And anyone that knows me knows you'll never okay. see Maraid without, without a dog. But I'm interested... This- Maraid, I am interested in... Is the experience of adoption in the home country of this um, Thai company, FHO Schwartz, is the is their ex- general experience? I know there's no. What do they know? But what but is there, I just wonder: is their general experience in the United States that when they adopt children, they are saving children from Russia or Vietnam? You know the whole image. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful children, by the way. Is that yeah, whole? Gorgeous. Is the whole image that they they are saving children, which which is now in the culture of this toy, this toy doll? Whereas in Ireland. People were sent to babies. Sorry, babies exactly, were sent yeah, away yeah. against their will, and they weren't. They could mm-hmm. easily have been saved in this country, except they exactly, were sold yeah. to to families in America. And maybe they thought that the American families thought they were saving Irish children and Irish babies, but they weren't, because no, those babies no. should never have been trafficked out of the country. No, they should not. Just, so is it just? Is it? I'm trying to get a handle. Is is it a is it a clash of cultures? It's just American doll, adopted doll. Yeah, they haven't done their homework. They haven't. They haven't done their homework on what went on in Ireland all those years. But you ago. wouldn't. Still, but you. But you wouldn't have to do much homework. Listen to, even in the yeah, last year with the Mother and Baby Commission. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But you know, some people just don't realise yeah. in other countries they don't. Thai, no, they wouldn't. You know. FAO Schwartz is an American toy brand uh, known for its high-end toys, life-size stuffed animals, interactive experiences, brand integrations and games. It's the oldest toy store in the US, opening in 1862 in Baltimore, then moving to New York and various other uh, uh, places. The dance on piano made famous by the 1998 Tom Hanks film Big uh, brought national attention to the brand because... Um, that, that's that's what they were made. Now, um, Toys R Us acquired FAO Schwartz, but I uh, I know I know they didn't uh, purchase. Then Toys R Us went went bankrupt, didn't they? But part yeah. a number of stores in Europe 
belonged to Toys R Us, including that, was bought by the Irish company Smiths. But I don't think they yeah. bought. Now I just we get on to Smiths because they're the biggest yeah. toy seller in the country, and we see are they? I doubt it. I see did they fall for this, and are they selling these adopted doll from America? Mm. Now the other thing I because it is a judgment. I'm looking at a photograph, and again this goes into stereotyping as well. That the doll that's that's being used in the illustration. Uh, for the Brown Thomas doll is is of Asian uh, looks. So does that stereotype every Asian ch- child in Ireland or Asian looking child in Ireland? Oh God, she must, she or he must have been adopted, which is yeah, another exactly, another yeah. issue. Yeah. Okay, Marie. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks, uh, thanks for thanks for raising it, and um, okay. we're, we're waiting on a statement back from BTS, and we're trying. And we'll ask Smiths as well. Do they stock? The yeah. um the adopt a doll the kids the what do they call it uh, uh, kids can adopt their own bundle of joy with FAO Schwartz's baby doll adoption center. No, Each they're better doll. off going into Smiths or Toys or yeah, wherever. Are, are. I'm sure BTS and and Arnest do adopt a little doll well. and okay, but I think the, the, parents can buy their child okay. a little doll for twelve euro and then adopt. They they can. You know, and but not this. It, it's an insult, as I said. But does it go it's any? It. Does it go any? Like again, I'm, I'm I'm trying to look at it through American. Is is there a stigma to adoption in America? Are they trying to get away from the stigma? I wonder. Giving them, there is a I'm giving, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt now. There but, is a stigma to adoption. Hmm. Even now, there is here hmm. in Ireland as well. There is. Is there? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And when, when, I feel that there is. And when did you discover? Not not me now, but a lot of um, adoptees have an inferiority complex. You know, that, mm-hmm. you know um, you're know you always looking to see who you are, where you're, mm-hmm. who, who you come, you know, all that. And there is, yeah, and you just don't feel you're good enough. And, you know, you don't become... Um, you know, you've given yeah, a, yeah. you've you've given every opportunity. We were, um, but not <laughs> <that and> the brains. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah, you know. Okay, stay, stay with us, Mairead. Paul is on the line. Joe at RT. Dot E. Oh eight one eight. Oh eight one eight seven one five eight one five. Paul, uh, you've heard now about this doll, adopted doll. Um, your reaction, please. Good afternoon, Joe. I was just talking to your producer. Uh, my wife was born in St. Pat's on the Navan Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, for 23 hours and 20 minutes a day, she was tied to her cot. Oh, God. And um, as you know, what do you call it? There was uh, medical vaccinations, trials committed on them. But 23 hours and 20 minutes a day, uh, her mother was only allowed to see her, her birth mother, for 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening to stop bonding. Uh, it was to prevent cot death as well. Uh, she was force-fed corn flour, which still affects her to this day. Her bowel was damaged. Oh. She's had cancer. She's been on your fo- our show before, you know, her name is Soda. And she's a search angel, and she does searches for people to access right. their right. original medical uh, history, yeah. their records, uh, their birth certs. It's a real battle with Tusla. Uh, but I just think this is a new low. When, when I look 
at what survivors have suffered in this country mm. in the last 50, 60 years. They're always made to feel ashamed and grateful by the fact that they were adopted. It's only, yeah. it's only through the likes of Christina Buckley, my wife as well, people like that, mm. where a light has been shone on the injustice meted out to these innocent people. And it's just, it's really quite sickly to be quite honest with you. When I think of those 40,000 women that were in St. Pat's Mother and Baby, baby Home on the Navan Road, I can remember His Holiness Pope John Paul II yeah. uh, landing at Dublin Airport, coming by helicopter helicopter to Cabra, then coming down the Navan Road, and all that separated uh, this man, who was the second in line to God, as they say, from these so-called penitent women, all that separated them from touching the hem of this man's garment was a block wall. They were seen as fallen women, you know. Because the papal nunciature is also on the Navan Road. It's yeah, where, the, where it the Pope's stay when they're here. And it is. It's and quite wife, close to where yeah. St. Pat's was. Yeah. And my wife, four years ago, got to meet the Pope. We met uh, Dermot Martin and she met the Pope for 70 minutes. Mm. And she found great healing through that uh, meeting okay. with, with Pope Francis. And she's reconciled herself with the past, but today she's just, she's upset and she's saying to herself, you know, there's so many people mm. who were born in modern baby homes for, who were there for less than six weeks who are not entitled to redress. Yeah. Those who are there longer yeah. than six weeks are entitled. Yeah. Whether you're there for 10, 10 days or 10 weeks or 10 months, Adoption is a trauma that never, ever leaves you. It never leaves you for That's the rest true. of your days. It's um, a pretty powerful uh, testimony, Paul. It really is. I presume, I don't, I don't know how, we we're waiting on a reply from BTs and, and they're the same, same organisation, um, the same companies. Um, we're waiting on, on a reply Um and again, it brings up the whole thing this year, the Mother and Baby Commission and the, the deficits, which were, yeah. which were spotted, in fairness, mm. by uh, survivors on Liveline. That very day it came out. It was six these, months, these, actually, Joe. Sorry, it was six months. Yeah. I think if you're, if you're there for what you call it, less than six months, yes, you're going to take yeah, the redress. Yeah, which is, which is shocking, wife was, yeah. My wife was there for nearly three months. Yeah. And, I mean, she has irreversible damage done to her body an innocent child, a baby, and she's, she's had cancer, she's had uh, problems mm. with her colon, she has lifelong problems with her mouth. And, Paul, did, did she ever find out why they fed her on corn flour? Was it just cheaper? It was cheaper, Joe, and the infant mortality rate in most of these modern baby homes, believe it or not, was less than 1%, you know? Mm. The, that, was, that, was, that, was the, that was the average, what they call it, going into the 1970s, 1960s, 1970s, but was as high as 80% in some of the homes. But when they started selling babies to America and so on and so forth, the infant mortality rate came down to the national average, which was about 1% or just slightly less. Mm. But thousands of babies were sent out, but then they started uh, treating children better because they were like fatted calves when, when they were currency, you know, they were a commodity, they couldn't yeah. sell them, you know. But well, again, it's shocking to think, just upside from your dignity, it's shocking to think that the infant mortality rate was nearly 80, 80%. You know, 80%. No Down syndrome children, no handicapped children. Very few black babies came over these places, you know. And it begs the question, a lot more just left to die. Yeah. It's just savage, it really is. And it's modern Irish history. And as I said before, I'm here in Mexford. We have monuments to 1798 all over the county, all mm -hmm. over Ireland. You've written great books. We remember 1916, and quite rightly so. 
but so-called fallen Irish women are forgotten about. Yeah. And this is modern Irish history. They're in the midst of our society. We see them every day. We don't know them. We bump into them in supermarkets, you know. So it's, it's upsetting hearing this kind of opportunism, mm-hmm. this commercialism of people's grief. And you're talking about maybe 60,000, 70,000 people left who are still alive, who are plagued by medical conditions, who are plagued by ill health, you know. And for an adopted person, not to be able to look at somebody and say, that's my yeah. brother, that's my sister, that's my father, that's my cousin. Things that we take for granted, you and I, Joe, and most people who are not adopted, yeah. to be able to see ourselves and our family's faces in their mannerisms. They've never had that. And they're always made to feel grateful for the fact that they were adopted, you know. Oh, and there's a culture yeah. in this country still, when it comes to people who are adopted, people who are in institutions like Gartain, like St. Joseph's, like Letter of Frack, like all these places, they still feel a certain sense of shame and embarrassment. And I'm just saying, uh, you're, you're, there's a theme here today. The first four callers um, who had been attacked in their cars in modern Ireland were women. Um Maraid's made this point about this doll that's on sale, the adopted doll, and our experience of adoption um, is quite different. I suspect, I suspect, and the uh, from from the other end, so to speak, in America, where babies were shipped off. To. You mentioned 1916. You mentioned women in 1916. Yeah. I've done research on the women. Yeah, no. do, do people know there was 150 women killed in 1916? I knew that. All civilians, they were, they've never been memorialised. Never. No, never. No. And a lot was made during the St. Henry, rightly so, that not one member of Coming to Mon, thankfully, was killed. But 150, Julia Crawford, Bridget Barry, Margaret Nolan, Mary Ann Corrigan, Mary Cunningham, Mary Connolly, Lucy Buckley, Jane Costler, Julia Brunel, I could go on and on and on, and they've never been memorialised. Never been. Yeah. They died in the when this state uh, was founded in 1916. But anyway, that's probably an aside. But I, t- I take a point, Paul, and um, we're, as I say, we're awaiting a response from BTs okay. and Arnott's. And Mairead, uh, thanks indeed, Mairead. And uh, well thanks done. Thanks very much. Yeah, okay, and thanks, well done Joe. for being thank so you. good. Thank you, Paul okay, and Mairead. Joe at RT.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Liveline on RTE Radio 1 with Kia. Going electric? Plug into the Kia e-range of EVs and PHEVs. Kia, movement that inspires. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Anne Ward is in Roundwood. Um, what happened, uh, Anne? You were in a shop. Yeah, hi, Joe. I was um, coming back on a Saturday evening. I'd done a course in Dublin, and I decided I'd pop into the shop to get a few messages on the way home. Mm-hmm. My bag was locked in the booth because I didn't want to bring it into the course that day. And I just had my purse with me, so I thought, I'm not going to open the boot now, take the bag out. It was okay. really dark and wet. Um, I went towards the shop door. As I did, these two guys walked out and snatched the purse out of my hand and legged it across the car park. And um, I looked around, but they were gone. There was no point in even thinking about following them. Mm-hmm. So I went on into the shop and I looked for the manager. And okay. was waiting on the manager to come up and was explaining to a few people that were at the checkouts what had happened. Okay. And as the manager approached me, the door opened and in came this man holding my purse in his arm up high. And I recognised my purse straight away. I knew it was mine. And as he came towards me, I realised it was the guy that had robbed me. Yes. And... I said to him, that's yeah. my purse. And he said, oh, yeah, 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 sorry, sorry. He said, uh, I thought it was my wife. 
and handed me back the purse in front of everybody in the supermarket. He was saying he was playing a prank on his wife. I don't know whether he was trying to say he thought I had stole the wife's purse or whether he, he, what he meant, but he said, oh, I thought it was my wife. And I said to him, you've just stole that out of my hand as I entered the supermarket. Yeah. And he just, sorry, sorry. He kept saying sorry and back and back out of the shop. Well, half of, uh, half of me thinks he's genuine because why would you, was there, why, why would he come back with the purse? Was anything removed from the purse? Yeah. There was 10 euro cash in it, which he had took. But the rest of it was cards, my cards. And he left all the... They were he all left the, the cards. Yeah, well, sure, like, this happened in a matter of minutes. He, he wouldn't have had time to do anything with the cards. Now, I did cancel him just in case he'd copied them or yeah. something. But um, the tenor was gone. Out so of he handed the, back your purse, said, I'm sorry, I thought that front, was my Yeah, in front of port. everybody in the store. And, and, he, and he walked away. Yeah, walked away. And the manager just stood looking at me and much as to say, well... You've got your purse back now, so, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. And he took €10 out of the purse. Yeah, yeah. He ran across the car park with it. And then, I don't know, he just come back into the store and handed it back to me. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah, very unusual. Very unusual. I I just, when I was listening to your story earlier, I thought, there's not too many... Are you sure, Anne, he he took the €10? Oh, yeah, the €10 Euro was yeah. gone out of it, yeah. Because I'd brought a small amount of cash with me that yeah, day course, for to get lunch and that. So I knew I had the €10 Euro in it, but I was going to use my card to pay for the few things I wanted. And the €10 Euro was gone out of it, yeah. OK, absolutely yeah. bizarre. Yeah, so I just thought, well... So like, he, surely he... Surely, when he was coming back in with the purse, how could he be confident that he wasn't going to be arrested or detained or well, I don't photographed know, I, or... I don't know how he was confident he knew, how he knew it was me. He obviously mm-hmm. knew I was going to report it, maybe. I don't know. But he walked straight over to me. I was at the end of the tail yeah. waiting on the manager. And he, he walked straight over and handed it back to me. And when you saw him coming in... At first, yeah. Well, at first what, did you, what was going through your head? Well, I thought, oh, somebody found my purse out in the car park. Ah. That's what I thought when I seen my purse in this guy's hand. But as he got nearer to me, I realised it was the guy that had took it. Yeah. That is the most bizarre. It was very unusual. Very unusual. No, I was trying to get back. Because yeah. you know the hassle of having to get new cars yeah, oh, and everything? Talking, yeah. And it wasn't like... So I knew there was... I said to him, well, there wasn't much cash in it anyway. I said to him mm-hmm. when he brought it back in. But he just kept saying, sorry, sorry, and reversing kind of back out of the shop. That's bizarre thing. Yeah, very unusual. So, okay, say, uh, okay, and thanks indeed. That's Anne Ward. I'm baffled. Yeah. And have you ever seen him since around Roundwood, so to speak? Well, it, this happened in Bray. Oh, it happened in Bray. Yeah. Oh, no, I never Bray seen Bray is a different country. Yeah, never seen him after. Never no. seen him after. Okay. No. Okay. No. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Thanks, Anne Ward. Thanks, Anne. Incredible, sir. John Morphy, we're talking about hobbies that got you through the pandemic. What did you, what, yes, what, what, did, what do you do, John? Uh, I usually sculpt war games figures. They're, uh, well, the scales are normally 20 millimetre high yeah. or 28 millimetre high, which you would see with Warhammer and stuff like that. Um, and I just, I sculpt the figures myself. Um, it's a hobby I picked up years ago, but uh, because I retired in January from the ESP, okay. um, it's given me a great opportunity to sort of just expand the, 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 the hobby a little bit and maybe maybe make a business out of it at some stage, you know? But like, it sounds like a sophisticated, skilled hobby. You, you use an armature... 
you use? I, I presume do you, do you do molds. How do you do you I mold? Do it, yeah. Yeah. No. What what I normally do is I normally get um a metal, you know, metal wire, and uh, I create yeah. a former, yeah. like a skeleton yeah. man or a matchstick yeah. man, and then I you build use around that hoodie and I build around it. I use a thing called Procreate, or sometimes I use green stuff that you can get from the games workshop, and I create the figure around it. And what I do then is uh, I can actually make a mould, um, a cold cure silicone rubber mould. Um, okay. I was buying the stuff in the UK. And you can okay. cast them in low melt metal then at that stage if you want. So oh, that's, that's what I was doing. That sounds like a, yeah. a business. Could could do it. It's it's. I think it's it's about scale too. I don't yeah. even have to compete with, with Games Workshop, but I could do bespoke pieces and stuff like that. That's what I'm wondering because they are, <laughs> models like that are... Uh, available mass manufacturing oh, so you'd have to do are, unique yeah. pieces yeah no they, they'd have to be characters or people like that yeah. you know that, that and what did you do in the ESB John um, I was uh, a Sparks for about 20 years and then I, I worked in um, worked in various departments uh, but did, did any of your yeah but did any of your work in the ESB relate to what you're doing now as a hobby no no okay no, okay. no. I had to cherry rig things a, a few times in the past but uh, yeah. that's a long, long time ago, so maybe oh, that well helped done. with the that's skill levels, you know. And so you're a Thank modeller, you. a sculptor, and a modeller. Yeah, but that's I wouldn't put my put myself up there at any any great high level. It's um it's a hobby yeah, I enjoy yeah. doing, and, and some people like the figures, so that keeps me happy. Okay. You know? well done, so. well said. That's John Morphy, Joe at our thanks, John, Joe at rt.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Just on Adopt a Doll in um, FAO Schwartz in Ireland, Arnott's and, and uh, Switzer's or BT's, I don't know. Um, people are pointing out, one, it's only a doll, which is a, which is a point. Two, that, uh, which I think came across, a lot of adoption experiences are positive. Well, absolutely. Uh, and three, that America had its own, has its own adoption uh, scandals. Um, there was an adoption agency. We'll find out more about this for, for Monday. There was an adoption agency in the United States that split up twins and triplets for adoption and never told anyone. Now, that's scandalous. But anyway, well, I have a statement here from um, from Arnott's. Uh, FAO Schwartz is a world-renowned... We know all this. Brown Thomas Arnott's entirely agreed that the experience of adoption has been varied in Ireland. Um and we take on board the views expressed in the programme. To this end, we will stop selling uh, today the FAO Swatch adoption dolls in all Brown Thomas and Arnott stores. Well, that's pretty uh, categoric. Brown Thomas, in fairness to them, this is the sting of their statement. Brown Thomas Arnott's agree entirely that the experience of adoption has been varied in Ireland and we take on board the views expressed in the programme. To that end, we will stop selling the FAO uh, Swartz adoption dolls in all Brown Thomas and Arnott stores. That couldn't couldn't be clearer and that's hopefully uh, that addresses some of the upset you heard uh, earlier. Okay, uh, we've one more week till Christmas week and as you know Christmas week on Liveline is always different. We do our self-published books. If you have a uh, a book that you publish yourself. In other words, you can't get it into Dubray or Easton's or Hodges or any uh, independent chain of, of bookstores. If you have to publish it yourself, we're trying to give you 
uh, a little bit of publicity, send them in to uh, attach your name to it, not on a post-it, but write your name on the book. We don't send the books back, but we give them to uh, a charity or a nursing home or whatever. And um, we will, uh, they're trawling through them at the minute. There's an awful lot of them, uh, thankfully. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. It's trawling through them. But and then on the 23rd, uh, which is the eve of Christmas Eve. Obviously, on Christmas Eve morning, we're on from a 9 to 11 from the biggest studio in the uh, campus, uh, Studio One, with all the usual uh, fun and frolics of a Christmas Eve. Um, but on the eve of Christmas Eve, on the Thursday, we're doing Little Live Line, like we did last year. And one of the stars, every one of them were stars last year, uh, one of the stars was Jack Walsh. And Jack is back on now because he's come a long way. <laughs> And he's done an awful lot in the last year. What age are you now, Jack? Uh, I'm 12 now. I think I was around 11 then. Okay. So what have you done in the in the year in terms of publishing? Well, I, I have to say I've done a lot. So I, I've done a bit of writing on my new book, Jingles is Christmas Adventure. Okay. And it's just been the best experience ever. This year... It started off a bit weird, but I have to say, you know, it's just my year is complete now with the book out. I, it's just so incredible to just have my name on that book. And the whole experience was fantastic. Because last Christmas, and this is what we're asking uh, little live liners to do this, this year. Last Christmas, Jack read out, you, you reviewed a Christmas carol for us and you came on and gave mm. the, the review, which was brilliant. So we're going to be opening again the phone lines uh, and the emails to our younger uh, listeners. And we want uh, you to tell us about your favourite books, albums, movie, TV shows. You can re- recommend anything you like, from Billie Eilish to The Beatles, from Frozen to Fargo, from The Gruffalo to Goldfish, anything, uh, Finch, anything at all you can review uh, or talk about if you're under 16 and you just send us the email at littleliveline at rte.ie, littleliveline at rte.ie. Okay, so Jack, you decided to uh, write a book, but then how did you go about getting it published? Well, so... We were just, we were kind of stuck, but we got Tribes Press to do it, and they were just incredible. They did okay. lots of, many, they did so much for us. They got an illustrator, Jay Penn, and we just, we went on Zoom meetings with them, with um, Marguerite Tonery, and just everyone working with Tribes Press, and they were just so amazing. They were really just lovely, and they helped us get the book out there, and it's just, yeah, it was great. And you so in the pandemic, in the year that was in it, you had to have Zoom meetings with publishers and illustrators and yeah. editors. And how did you find that experience? It was quite strange. Like we just started a whole entire meeting just talking about like the book, and I mean, like I I wanted to be positive and I wanted to say, yeah, you know, the book's coming out, but I didn't actually expect, you know, an actual novel. You know, I didn't. yeah, yeah, okay. it's all still kind of new to me. I still. Find it hard to believe. Okay, so and are you are you a family of book lovers, Jack? Yep, yes, yep. And who yep. your parents and your grandparents and your brothers, sisters? Yeah, my mom and dad always used to read to me before going to bed. Always. And now you're reading to them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us what the book is about. So the book is about a little elf named Jingles. Well done. And. She's, she's a very nice little elf. She's kind. She's a bit mis- mischievous, but she's very nice. Mm-hmm. And one day, Santa asked her to do a very important job, and it's to check the list of all the boys and girls in the world. Okay. See if they're, see if they're doing good. 
and I just I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Okay, don't, don't, don't. Yes, yes. Yeah. But let's just say something happens at the North Pole that puts everyone in danger, and Santa oh God. Santa Jingles, the elves have to save the day. And and okay, so that's that's the cliffhanger. Yeah, that's that's the cliffhanger, the cliffhanger isn't it? Yep. Um, and uh, you you know all the elf gags like where do Santa's helpers go to therapy? They they go somewhere to help their elf esteem. Do you get it? <laughs> oh my god! What do you call an elf who won't share? Not selfish, elfish. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what what, what is what is Santa Claus's tax status? He's elf employed. Oh, you'd love me. Talk about that. Talk about that jokes, Jack. So where can people get the book? Your book. So Jack Walsh's book. You could get the book at tribespress.com online. Okay. And to find out more about the book, you could go to um, my dad and I's website, jackandowen.com. There's loads yeah. about the book on there and many other things too about our YouTube channel as well. We have a YouTube channel, Jack and Owen. Well done. Okay. And you're in Dubray books, yep, which, Dubray. which are expanding all the time. Yeah. You're in Charlie Bourne's that incredible. I'd spend a week in Charlie Bourne's bookshop um in oh, Galway. Yeah. You've Kenny's mm. you're in Kenny's bookshop, which have a fantastic online. They really have a brilliant online um mm. uh, a service and the web is just you could spend days on the web just drilling in and looking for books and I was looking for some rare books recently. Um but that's a fantastic uh, so have you have you actually got the book? Have you you've had it in your hand with your own name on it? Yeah, it's actually right in front of me right now. I'm holding it. Well done, because you must be one of the youngest published authors in the country. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, like, I, I'd say it might turn some people's heads hearing that, you know, just a child wrote a book. Um, I, I, I don't know if I'm the youngest in Ireland, okay. but if I am, I mean... Yeah, that okay, would be that's fine, crazy. that's fine, yeah, that's fine. And, and Jack, who did, when you're negotiating with publishers and shops and distributors, and who did, who, who talked money? Uh, uh, <laughs> my, <laughs> my dad. Okay. I think you, I think you might be quite good at it, Jack. <laughs> at selling your own wonderful product. So it was called yeah. Jingle's Christmas Adventure. Yeah. And um, does, are there going to be more Jingles Christmas adventures? Um, well, I do have a few ideas, but I mean, I'm not 100% sure yet. I mean, you'll have to find out. But just keep writing, do you? Don't stop writing. Mm, yeah. and, uh, and above all, don't stop reading. <laughs> yeah. Don't stop uh, reading. Where do elves vote in elections? The North Pole. Do you get it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the first thing elves learn in school? The alphabet. Oh yeah, I've heard that Brilliant. one. That's a good one. Um, why did the Why did the elf sleep in the fireplace? Because he wanted to sleep like a log. Anyway, Jack, I can't wait to see your book. It sounds absolutely fantastic. What's the name of the illustrator again? J Penn. J Penn. Okay, and it's it's in Dubray, Kenny's, Charlie Bourne's, uh, and it's online at Tribes. Give it to me again. Tribes. Tribespress.com. Tribes Press. Well done, Jack. Well done. Okay, and uh, Jack, as I say, graduated from Little Liveline uh, last year, and um, he's graduated with a with a book. And I've seen a photograph of Jack with the book. It's a fantastic looking professional Thank production, you. and it's a great achievement. It's a great achievement. And make sure you keep a copy of it. 
safe and the best thing to do with one copy is to go to a book a book binder like Declan Brown in Athlone and ask him to build a little box for your book okay ah. and you he puts the he'll engrave in gold leaf he'll put the name of your book on the side of the box and you put it away on the shelf just beside the elf on the shelf and that means when people come into your house they say, can I borrow the your book you say you can borrow any book but you can't borrow my special copy of the first book I ever published and there it is up there in a in a beautiful box made by Declan Brown and Athlone so make sure you do that otherwise all your copies will disappear out of your house Jack Mm-hmm. All the, keep keep one copy and treasure it and get it packaged properly and in a box and uh, it yeah. will never leave your house. Okay, Jack, we'll talk soon. Yeah. Okay. Well done. Well done. Well done. Thank you okay. So much. Thank you, Jack. So it's Little Liveline. It's on the twenty third of December. The special email is littleliveline at rt.ie. Do you want to review something for us? Do you want to review a movie, a TV program, a book? especially a book, albums, uh, TV shows. Um, and it doesn't have to be a children's TV show. You can let let us know. You can uh, write a, a review of Get Back, the Beatles uh, trilogy, that which is on Disney at the minute. You can write a review of Squid Game, if you're allowed to watch Squid Game or whatever. But it's we just want, for that programme, it's going to be young people talking uh, from beginning uh, to end. We're coming to the end. Let me just go to Mar- Is Mairead back again? Is Mairead back? And Mairead yeah, and Paul. Yeah. Mairead, that's a pretty decisive statement from Brown Thomas. They're gone. The, the, the adopted doll is gone. Very good. And yeah. that's it's great to hear that because yeah. thousands of survivors wouldn't have a notion of buying those dolls for either their grandchildren or great-grandchildren now and because it's not the memories they have yeah. and yeah. it's great that Brown Thomas have done that. Okay, and Paul you know. was the other caller on as well. Paul, it's a pretty decisive one. Brown Thomas do admit and Arnest do say we, we accept uh, that the experience of adoption in Ireland has been varied. Um, and we take on board the views expressed in the programme, so we stop selling the dolls as of now in Brown Thomas and Arnott. So I know your wife was upset uh, hearing about it, but hopefully that's the end of it there. No, I'd love to hear from people in America. So, Paul, uh, thanks for your call, and uh, I presume the Arnott statement is to, is to your uh, your satisfaction. There are two great shops. My wife and I do a lot yeah, of shopping there. We'll sure be up are. there before Christmas, and... Uh, it's just the power of radio, well, the, really. No, it's, it's, it was the power of your voice and Mairead's voice and also that shops like BT's and Arnott's, despite their size, uh, can can react like that and take on board the nuances. Thanks indeed, Paul. Thanks, Mairead Kenny. Lisa Marie Berry uh, is the series producer. Richie Byrne uh, was a researcher. Mark Dwyer on sound. And Willem McCartney uh, was uh, our BCO. And we are back on Monday. And Ray Darcy is next. Liveline on RTE Radio 1 with Kia. Discover our 2 to 1 offers at your local Kia dealer. For more, log on to kia.com. 0818-715-815 stays open until 3.15pm or email joe at rte.ie.